0: jobs bring pride purpose they stitch people together if all that sounds good to you visit american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use code staple 20 at checkout that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com with promo code staple 20.
1: what's going on everybody welcome to future projection of baseball america podcast uh, i'm carlos colazzo uh, here with ben badler for episode 28 of the podcast uh, over the last week or so, uh, really a ton has happened in the baseball world. The trade market has gone crazy. The free agent market has gone crazy, kind of as expected now that we have a new CBA locked into place. Um, ben, how are you doing, man? How Have you had time to digest all of these moves? Um, obviously, we'll get into them, but but how's it going on your end and what you've been up to?
0: Yeah, we've got a, a lot more to talk about than usual <laughs> compared to... Uh... Um, you know, our last few episodes, at least on the pro side, it's, uh, it's fun to see all these prospects getting traded and these big leaguers moving in these packages. I mean, the, the Matt Olson one
1: is not one I saw coming though. (laughs) No, um, that was, uh. I don't know. I, I did, did you not see that one coming because you just kind of expected the Braves to re-sign Freddie Freeman, or because I know Olson had been linked to the Braves, like he was obviously getting traded, and, and I feel like the Braves were an obvious candidate to trade for him if they didn't re-sign Freeman. And I feel like this whole time I've I've kind of been split on whether or not I thought Freeman would re-sign with the Braves. I thought the Dodgers would would be pretty aggressive in going after him. Obviously, that's where he he wound up, but. I think, I think some of it was just the way it happened where you would think,
0: okay, I I thought, all right, for Freddie Freeman to either re-sign with the Braves or he would sign somewhere else. And then they would, the Braves would make a decision on where to Mm. go. And it seemed like they just said, "Mm, yeah, we're not going to wait around for this. And that's how everybody finds out Freddie Freeman is uh, not coming back to Atlanta.
1: Yeah. I know it's, it's gotta be a lot of, of bittersweet feelings for Braves fans. Obviously, when the face of your franchise who just won a world series with you uh everyone kind of expected and or braves fans i'm sure expected him to be re- re-signed and certainly hoped that he would be re-signed and then he's still on the market you make a, a pretty massive trade for matt olson one of the better younger one of the better young first baseman in baseball um and then i think there at that point you pretty much knew freddie freeman was going elsewhere but when he's announced officially with the Braves, they also announced a massive extension for him. So all of that happening as as quickly as it did was pretty surprising just with the contract and everything that's tied to it. What do you think on, on Olsen's contract that he has compared to Freddie Freeman's? The dollars, the total dollars, aren't super far away. I'll pull them up right now, but Freddie Freeman signed, Um, a six year deal with the Dodgers for 162 million. Um, that's good for a 27 million average annual value. Um, and then Matt Olson's deal is an eight year, $168 million contract, uh, for an average annual salary of 21 million. Um, obviously the age is the biggest difference here. Matt Olson is about to turn 28 as we're recording this podcast. Freddie Freeman is obviously 32. Um, but 6 million dollars in difference towards the Olsen side for a two year longer contract that's going to take him through his age um like 34 season is that right 36 it's yeah, i mean
0: i get i guess that when the when the numbers came out for both players i didn't i actually didn't think that the trade Package that the Braves gave to the A's was was that like massive of a give for
1: Matt Olson?
0: I know. Yeah. It let's seems like let's so get so into the,
1: that. That's the I guess depending on you mentioned this, I'll let you talk about it. But before we get into it too much, the, the players that were sent, if you're not aware, the Braves traded Shea Langoliers Christian Pache, Ryan Cusick and Joey Estes um, to the A's to get Olson prior to the deal being announced. So. I thought that was a haul initially. Tell, tell us why you don't think it was that big of a package.
0: Well I, I think it probably depends on what you think of Christian Pache because yep. if you still think he is this top 50, top 30 type of prospect in baseball, I don't know that anyone necessarily sees him that way, but mm. if you still see him the way you know we were talking about him coming into, the 2021 season then sure i, I think you got to be thrilled yeah but i i i see a lot of risk mm-hmm. with his ability to to hit i mean I, I was a little bit i i think i'm just more down on pache compared to most people i mean we have i remember toward-
1: Yeah, last year we had him as a top 15 prospect in baseball entering the year. And I remember at the time you were probably the lowest in the office on him just because you had these offensive question marks. And I think, I mean, his 2021 season only added to those question marks. If if you weren't skeptical prior to that year, you were skeptical at the end of it. And I do think you're right. Like this trade probably comes down to how you view Pache as a player moving forward. Is he going to be a guy who basically gives you nothing offensively and is a very good defensive center fielder. And that player profile has lost a ton of value in in the game today compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago. Um, For me, I don't know. I could see it going both ways. I kind of want to ride the fence on Pache. I mean, we have him as the number 84 prospect in baseball right now. So he was pretty far away from that 2021 preseason ranking. Uh, and, and he hasn't hit very well, but at the same time, he showed in flashes. He was injured. I know he was tweaking, um, or he was doing a lot with, with kind of how he was setting up at the plate uh, with his mechanics. Um, he's changed a lot of stuff just trying to figure it out. So it wouldn't shock me if he made an adjustment or got a change of scenery or just got some regular ABs at the major league level and did adjust. And because he's so young, like if he became like a slightly below average hitter, And had his defensive value and base running like that's still a valuable player, but getting to like a ninety WRC plus type of guy is is pretty skeptical with him right now. So I guess what what are your thoughts on him figuring it out and the limitations he has now offensively? Do you think he's he's still young enough to where you can see it, or are you just out entirely? I I think look like you said we have him tucked in toward
0: the back of our top one hundred still. I I don't think he's a guy who is an obvious guy who even needs to be in the top 100 now it doesn't mean he's not a still a good player or can't become a good player i don't see it likely i don't see a likely outcome where he turns into a star player my thinking on him is that yeah i i look the defense um you know I, i don't sense much disagreement on that he's a you know looks like a plus plus if not better defender in center field so you have an elite defender at a premium position but i i think it's it seems more likely to me that the overall outcome is something more aligned along the lines of a player like jake marisnik right where you're looking at that premium defender in center field you know plus 10 plus 15 whatever it ends up being you know obviously some variability year to year but you know, an elite defender in center field, but then the offensive contribution is going to be, you know, below to to well below league average, which can, you know, in in some years be a, you know, a league average, a a solid everyday center fielder. But this is, I think, somebody who's more likely to hit toward the bottom of the lineup. And I just, I, I have a, I think it's a low probability that he turns into this, uh, you know, top of the lineup. Uh, you know, dynamic defender. I mean, I, I've again still agree on the the defense, but I, I think it's more of a um, you know, may a chance to be a you know a league average, bottom of the lineup hitter whose whose defense at a premium position is going to be what's what's carrying him. And then I, I look at the rest of the trade package, and you know, they got Matt Olson without. Again, you know, Shea Langoliers, you could, you know, is again right on the cusp of being a top fifty prospect. Yeah, and I think it, a lot
1: of the stuff that you were just saying about Pache honestly could apply to Langoliers as well. He he had a better hitting year than Pache did, obviously, and that's one of the reasons why he ranked where he did in the Braves system. But at the at the same time, he could wind up being a glove first player at a premium defensive position. Who you wonder how much is he really going to contribute offensively? Like there are some hit tool questions there. I, I believe in the power with him. Um, so some similar question marks, even though we're kind of in different stages of their offensive development and how people view them. But yeah, if you're down on Posh as a hitter and maybe you have some questions about Langoliers as well, as well then you just traded a guy who's a premium slugger, middle of the order bat in baseball. And the top two prospects that you got who are on our top 100 list are defensive centric players. I could see you being a little iffy on that or, or feeling light on it, especially when the headliner and Langoliers is a catcher and the top prospect in your system is, is Tyler Soderstrom. I think typically the, the positional, um, diversity is not a huge issue, but we've talked about with catchers how it's a little bit different there. And I guess whether or not you think Tyler Soderstrom is going to catch long-term or whether or not he'll just move to first base and let him hit, maybe that'll change how you, how you feel about this trade. But I think you bring up a lot of good question marks.
0: Yeah. And like, then you give up, uh, ryan cusick too so again this is i'm not saying this is a bad return for the a's but i don't see this as some big lopsided deal that i think some people were um you know maybe viewing it as again probably in part because of um pache but then then i you know when i see the two the numbers for freeman and i see the numbers for olsen well then i think well, would you rather just have Freddie Freeman and keep all of these prospects? <laughs> that's that's the other part of it. I mean, yeah. obviously, it comes down to what ownership is willing to to spend. That's you know, yeah. somewhat beyond the control of the front office, and and you have to make a decision. But then I think, well, <laughs> if 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 the numbers are are comparable, I get Olson is. Olsen is. I get Olson is obviously younger, so there's mm-hmm. some more risk with Freeman. On the other hand, I actually think Olson is likely to not age as well as, as Freddie Freeman. So I, I think that's because of the hit
1: tool difference there.
0: Yeah, and 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 the way their the way their swings work, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, even if Freddie Freeman, if if both these guys lose some bat speed as they get older, I think Olson has a narrower or, or excuse me, Freeman has a uh, you know, a bigger margin for error um, mm-hmm. than Olsen does. If, if some yeah. of that starts to go for Olsen, then I think that that really brings some significant risk mm-hmm. to to how he ages. But you're also not, you know, mm-hmm. you're not talking about his mid to late 30s. You're talking about his late 20s and yeah. mostly early 30s. Although, <laughs> you know, a- every player is, is different. But man, once you get into your, 30s it can it can fall apart pretty quick speaking yeah from i mean
1: <laughs> obviously we don't know how the negotiations went down before the braves decided to move on from freeman but just looking at the total dollars and seeing where it ended up it, it doesn't seem like the the actual money was the sticking point on the Braves side this is just an assumption by me i don't have any like inside info but just looking at the contracts that they both got olson was given more more dollars um obviously it's over different years but yeah i think the the biggest question is how do you project these guys moving forward? I mean, Zips has them, has Olsen actually as like the better player in 2022, which I was kind of surprised to see. I think because Olsen plays in Oakland, I think in general, he's a little bit underrated in terms of how good a hitter he really is. I mean, he's a different style of hitter than Freddie Freeman, but I think with his power, he's got a chance to hit a lot more home runs in a park like the Braves are playing in than he did in the Coliseum. Um, and then you just look at some of the other first basemen and how they have aged in their 30s. I imagine that was a huge uh, question mark and just risk for, for any of these organizations who are thinking about committing this amount of dollars and this number of years to a guy like Freddie Freeman. And you look at players like Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder. I'm sure there are other first base types that you can point to who really haven't aged well. And to me, that's the biggest difference. I mean, you're getting one one player who's kind of in his prime or entering his prime in Matt Olson, and a guy like Freddie Freeman, who you would imagine is hitting the decline stages pretty soon um, into this contract. So I, I imagine that's the biggest difference in how people will view them. I'm really curious to see how they perform just as soon as next year after seeing some of the projections and and what people are expecting Olson to do. that lineup but
0: on the other hand i could see i mean i could see freddie freeman aging more like joey Votto too right i mean it's it's hard to say but i i think he has i mean they're they're different types of hitters but i think he has some of those qualities that that still could age well i i don't think the i mean (laughs) doctors are just such a Man, what a what an absolute juggernaut!
1: I think they're going yeah. to be. I think it's this year. Joey Votto's like the the change in his approach offensively last year is just kind of crazy to watch. I was I was looking at a few players and year over year changes as we're looking at our crystal ball series we're about to start rolling out, where we kind of offer some predictions for the major league season, pick some breakout hitters, and the fact that he hit thirty six home runs in twenty twenty one in his age thirty seven season is crazy like he, he clearly just started getting much more aggressive in the swings that he was taking trying to hit for power and the fact that just a simple approach shift can change a hitter like that entirely just shows in my mind the the skill and the ability that Votto has like he clearly wanted to be a high OBP high average guy previously this is kind of like the Ichiro situation where he was always like yeah if I wanted to hit for power I could I just don't want to do that, and Votto is kind of like doing that in real time, which is fun. I do wonder if Freddie could be that that kind of hitter, um, but but I think in general, just that that demographic is pretty terrifying when you look at some of some of his contemporaries. And I think even this was brought up in our our Dynasty group chat, but some of Freddie's um, similar players on Baseball Reference, the tool where they they kind of just show the similarity scores, like you wouldn't want those batters you don't want to age like these batters like his his similarity scores are Paul Goldschmidt Ted Klusowski Prince Fielder Ryan Klesco Justin Morneau Tim Salmon Mo Vaughn David Justice Hal trotsky like do any of those names scare you or do you not really care about those
0: uh i mean i think he's a little different physically than prince fielder right <laughs> <laughs> that's fair to mm-hmm. to say i i mean yeah i mean you can see yeah, I think there's yeah each guy is is different. Mm. Yeah, I mean some of them are what you said more no, right? I mean there's some other issues there. Oh, I like the the Canadianness there. That's a good comp. Yeah, nice little um, wrinkle. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's a, it's a big bet to to make. But if I'm gonna make one on a you know a first baseman in his early 30s. That seems he seems like the guy to make it on its, you know, he's he's been remarkably durable. I think we've talked about this yeah. before. He plays but he doesn't
1: he does not take time off, man. If he's if he's hurting through something, he doesn't care. You you have to force him out. And I don't think it, it never seemed like the Braves were in a position to be able to tell him, No, you can't play. It seemed like he was kind of calling all the shots for himself and, and and the other players on the team in that in that sense.
0: Do you think the NLDH now will help him with that or they can just say look freddie we're, we're just going to have you dh a little bit more and and just try to I,
1: keep you, you fresh later in your career think, right like i i think he's probably a guy who initially would really fight that because he seems to be the type of player who just wants to constantly be on the field i'm sure he thinks he's going to add a lot of value as a defender um i'm sure he takes a lot of pride in the work that he does defensively and i'm sure he still views himself as a first baseman and not a dh so I'm curious how that will work with the Dodgers. It seems like the Dodgers have, I mean, just a lineup that you would want to constantly shuffle guys through that DH spot to keep all your hitters fresh. You have so much depth. You could really use that new position for them as, as like you said, a a way to keep your best bats in the lineup, keep everybody fresh. You have a lot of defensive versatility in that lineup where you can mix guys around depending on matchups, depending on um, nagging injuries or, or just, um, just fatigue that your team's going through. So I think they have a lot of options there. I really am curious how how Freddie himself will, will handle sitting out or being moved to the DH position with a new team. Because certainly if he came back to Atlanta, I feel like his voice, I mean, he's kind of been the guy there for so long. It feels like from the outside looking in that he could kind of just call his own shots. Really curious to see how, how that'll work on a new team and a team that's as loaded um in in a lineup like the Dodgers so the but I don't know there's also sorry go ahead I was just gonna say I don't know how that'll help him like long term because a guy like Albert Pujols like certainly benefited from the DH it still didn't really help him when the bat speed was gone kind of was just gone so I don't know the the Braves did keep their their number one prospects
0: mm-hmm. in this trade though with Michael Harris, what, yeah. I mean, you you did our Braves top 40 prospects ranking. How close was it between Harris, Langoliers, Pache? Was was Harris like the clear-cut number one guy for you? Is, is no, that how I, you
1: saw it? Or? I wouldn't say so. I think this was the hardest that I've had deciding a number one prospect in any of the, the prospect handbook chapters that I've done at BA. Um, it was very tough for me between those three. I think as I had more conversations with people both inside and outside of the organization, it it was more of a Michael Harris versus Shea Langeleers conversation just because of some of these question marks we talked about with Pache where both Michael Harris and and Shea were coming off of really impressive offensive seasons. Um, At the end of the day, Michael Harris was the number one prospect because um, it seems like most people that I talked to viewed him as the best pure hitter in the system on top of his secondary tools. So while these guys are a little bit closer to the big leagues in terms of just proximity, when you combine the hit tool, the bat to ball skills with Harris, the improvement that he showed in his approach over the course of the season and his athleticism and secondary tools, defense in the outfield power. Um, he was the number one guy, but again, I wouldn't say it was a, a clear number one choice. If you wanted to argue that Shea was, or if, after all the stuff we talked about with Pache, if you still, for whatever reason, thought that he still had a uh, something to figure out offensively, if you wanted to put him one, I don't think any of those would be crazy. I think all of those have a, a legitimate case for number one. I feel good about the order we have, but it was certainly more of a, a three-man race than a clear-cut uh, number one. And I think what's also interesting is a lot of the players that the A's have gotten back in trades for, for Olsen and, and some of the other players they've moved around are like near proximity, big league types, guys who are already established themselves in the big leagues are very close. Um, We can talk about the Matt Chapman trade as well, but I wonder if it was a case where the Braves just weren't going to trade Michael Harris, or if the A's just wanted players like Langoliers and like uh, Pache and like even Ryan Cusick, who is a little bit older and you can maybe push along quicker um, if they just wanted that proximity over a guy like Michael Harris who hasn't done anything uh, above the A ball level interesting yeah what did what did you think of or or where are you at now on Cusack?
0: Because he was the Braves Mm. first round pick last year yeah 24th overall at a Wake Forest I was Mm. you know I thought you know I could see why he fits in the back of the first round I also thought he maybe would have fit fine in the in the second round too um but he came out and
1: had a really good debut no I, I think I was probably closer to you on that one um I knew that a lot of scouts liked him at the back of the first. Um, I probably would have viewed him a little bit later um, just because it it seemed like to me at the time of the draft, he was pretty much the same pitcher who he had been since high school. I didn't really see any tangible steps forward in his command um, or his secondary stuff at Wake Forest. I mean, Wake, Wake does a really good job with pitchers. This isn't a knock on them. I just at the time thought he was going to be so one of these pitchers who had an overpowering fastball um, who had a lot of success at the amateur level with that pitch. And I had question marks about the starter profile, about the consistency of his breaking stuff, about the consistency of his changeup, like was he going to put all that together and take the next steps? Cause the arm talent is really special. And the fastball alone was one of the best individual pitches in the draft class that year. Um, but then you look at the walk rate, it, it didn't really ever improve at wake. It was four walks per nine his freshman year. It jumped up to seven point three in just twenty-two innings in twenty twenty. In twenty twenty-one, it was four point one per nine. In all the conversations that I had with scouts too, like I didn't get the sense that he was progressing in that regard. And then all of a sudden, he gets to Atlanta, and that walk rate is cut in half. It's only sixteen innings, Um, but it seems like he he did take a step forward in the strikes, and maybe it was just getting into an organization that does such a good job with pitchers like Atlanta. Uh, it seems like he is a guy who maybe has figured out that he doesn't need to be precise with his fastball. He just needs to get over the plate because of the velocity and kind of the carry of the pitch itself will, will do the work for him. And if you're trying to be less of a pinpoint guy, when that's not who you are, maybe just throwing the ball over the plate is all you need to do to help that, that control tick up. Um, but I certainly view him more favorably now after that outing and after hearing some of the breaking ball development he showed in pro ball than I did previously. And part of that is just tied to being in Atlanta system and seeing how they've developed pitchers in the past. Um, So, yeah, I guess that's a long way of of telling you what I think about Cusick and kind of my, my history with him and how I've progressed. Do you think it's a starter long-term or do you see more reliever risk there with him? I mean, I think it's probably more likely to be a reliever, right? Still, like, like he, he's going to have to do it over more than 16 innings and more than uh, like being 21 years old in low way. Like I, I think that's a profile where he could probably, the numbers might be able to trick you because he's just overpowering hitters with that fastball. So I really want to see what he looks like over a full season against more advanced hitters when he has to get a, li- a little bit deeper into his pitch mix is that control a real step forward or is it just kind of a small sample size bit of noise? I mean, part of me wants to, I do, I do think it was a little bit of a step forward just because of what I heard from talking to scout to who had watched him and, and coaches who had been working with him um, because he has made some adjustments, but I just, I want to be more convinced of it. I want him to prove it over a, a longer bit of playing time and against better hitters. But I would say if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say probably still more likely to be a reliever because I mean, the fastball is so good that you can just have him go out there and just throw as hard as he can for, for an inning or two and maybe rip off a breaking ball every now and then to keep him honest.
0: Yeah, and that's that's where I see it. Again, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad trade for the A's. I just see the Braves giving up a guy in Pache who I don't think is going to be a star and has some pretty significant hit risks. You know, Langoliers, good prospects, uh, but not like an elite, elite guy either. Uh, You keep Michael Harris, your, you know, your number one prospect. like you said, you could argue that, you know, Langelier should be there. And, and Cusick is, you know, he has that maybe first round pick label attached to him, but like you said, there's still some pretty significant reliever risk with him as well. And then with, you know, Freeman signing with the Dodgers, the, uh, the Braves will get a, a comp pick as well for it. So, you know, it probably won't be a talent commensurate with, uh, you know, Ryan Cusick, but um, I don't see it as some,
1: you know, massive overpay or anything for for the Braves. I'm surprised that people have said that because I like the trade for the A's, but I also really like it for the Braves. I, I see it as just kind of a very fair trade, good for both sides. Like clearly the A's are rebuilding I think they got a good collection of talent here and maybe there's a little bit more variance and outcome that, that you would like, but I think the talent they got is good for, I mean, they're giving up two years of control of Olsen. They, they didn't have this contract in place and they traded him. So that's certainly a factor. Um, and I think Joy Estes is an interesting prospect in his own right. I mean, we haven't talked about him too much. He's the fourth player of this group and he's the lowest ranked player that was sent away. Uh, but he also had a really loud season, a really strong year. He struck out 127 batters over 99 innings. He, he kind of has proven more at the pro level um, that he can start two years younger than Ryan Cusick. And he also has a really good fastball that, that plays up more than its velocity would suggest. It's, it's a really good um, kind of flat approach angle pitch that, that all these new analysts really like. That uh, Whether that it's the induced vertical break or just the angle that he's attacking from gets a ton of whiffs up in the zone. Um, so maybe he winds up being uh, better than we're giving him credit for now and I just wanted to mention that he did have a really good year um but yeah I would I would stop before calling this a uh, a massive win or overpay um for the Braves or athletics like I, the, it seems like a fair trade for me
0: yeah the the Matt Chapman trade though i I love that trade mm-hmm. for the blue Jays again yeah. I'm not saying the, the A's didn't get anything there but mm-hmm. I for the blue Jays I think it's it's a great trade for them i mean mm-hmm. not that i
1: would have ever expected them to trade gabriel moreno for them right yeah. like <laughs> so you know. real real quick to lay out this trade if you guys uh, either forgot or are trying to remember who the prospects were the blue jays got matt chapman and they sent away gunner Hogland, um kevin smith zach loge and kirby sneed so again a bunch of 22 or older guys who are going back Gunnar hoagland is the headliner Um, Yeah, yeah, I guess keep keep breaking it down, Ben, because I, I do think it's kind of funny. I imagine most people who would think of like Baseball America writers breaking down trades would be really excited about the prospect sides of both of these. But I do think like the fact that you're more excited about the established big leaguer side of these trades, I think tells you that like we are all still aware of the risk that these prospects carry like not all these guys are going to pan out and i think in general trading prospects for established big league capital is a pretty safe investment in my mind but well, i think it also just makes a lot of sense for the blue jays based on where they
0: are right now i, I think again you, you should keep your you know your your elite prospects your your guys who are you know vladimir guerrero jr and bo bichette and build around those guys and they've done that and they've gone out and signs uh you know our, our, you know alec manoa too so they have this really exciting homegrown core they supplemented through you know trade slash free agent signings uh with bringing in guys like springer and um you know gaussman and, and barrios and all these guys and now they're doing it to you know shore up that left side of, of the infield and bring in another impact player in Matt Chapman without giving up any of their top four prospects. They didn't give up, you know, obviously they're not going to trade Moreno in this deal. They didn't trade Aurelvis Martinez. Pearson they kept Jordan Groshans they kept. I guess you could argue whether you know you would take maybe Groshans versus uh Gunnar Hoagland, but You know, none of, none of those guys are are top 100 prospects and yeah, I mean, look, if, if Gunnar Hoagland turns into a, you know, a really good mid rotation starter, that's going to be a a good outcome Mm -hmm. for the A's, but the other guys they're trading here. I mean, Kevin Smith, Zach Logue, those are two good development stories for the blue Jays last year, but there's not, I mean, they're basically spare parts for the blue jays now kevin smith was you know one of the blue jays top 10 prospects he was number seven before the trade but i mean where's where is he going to play in toronto it didn't seem like he was really in the picture for mm-hmm. them zach Logue, another guy the, the velocity ticked up but he's you know maybe uh you know if everything works out a back-end starter uh maybe a reliever maybe just in an up and down guy i mean these guys are both 25 turning 26 soon Mm-hmm. So now is really the time for them. So f- from that standpoint, I'm, I'm actually kind of psyched that these guys will probably get an opportunity to do it because they, they deserve that. But from the Blue Jays, you're trading away, you know, Smith and Logue and, you know, Kirby Snead, uh, you know, Sneed would, you know, fit in as a, a middle reliever for them. But these are, are guys who really didn't have much of a path to, you know, regular playing time in Toronto. And so they're basically trading those guys in, in their first round pick from last year to to get an, an impact player like Matt Chapman, who's under team control at a pretty reasonable price for the next two years at a time where, I mean, geez, the Blue Jays won 91 games mm-hmm. last year. This is I, I think they I, I, I could very easily see him getting to. The world's I mean they won more games
1: than the Braves last year, right? I was <laughs> yeah, like they I mean, once once you get in, it's it's anyone's game. And now there are two additional spots in the playoffs. So yeah, I mean it's I think man. in the system last year they would have made the playoffs, right? Like it would have been them. Oh yeah. yeah. I guess I don't know the I, I still don't remember the details of, of how this works. But yeah, I mean yeah, they, they were they only one them. game behind the, the Yankees
0: and the Red Sox last year. So I mean that AL East is is still going to be stacked this what? year.
1: What kind of a hitter do you think Chapman is going to be for the Blue Jays? Like everyone talks about his defense. he's He's been known as one of the best defensive third baseman in baseball for like the last half decade or more. Um, He's been above average in, in terms of office plus each of the last three years. He's got a lot of power. W- what sort of a hitter should they expect? And I guess what short, sort of hitter do they need him to be when you have a lineup with Laddie and with Boba kind of entrenched in the middle of it? Because I think, with those two guys entrenched in the lineup, how good a hitter do you need Matt Chapman to be? And I guess what kind of a bat are you expecting with him in 2022? Yeah. I mean, it's
0: look, it, it's a lot of strikeouts. I'm sure it'll probably piss off some people who can't uh, deal with that, but you have the walks that offset some of those strikeouts. You have 30 home run type of power with him, you know, 25, 30 home runs. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and like you said, gold glove defense at third base. He's, again, he's another guy where I, kind of like Olson. I, I don't know that I would bet on him with a long-term contract when he becomes a free agent going into his 30s. Uh, but for, you know, his age 29 and 30 seasons, I think he can still be a, you know, a league average, if not better hitter than that. I mean, we're looking at his worst offensive season. Now, I, I guess you could look at that as a, a sign of things to come. I see more likely some regression to the mean of, you know, his, his performance from the, you know, the previous benchmarks that that he had set, where he was about, you know, 20 30% above league average, I don't think I don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily count on him getting to that level, but if he can be a league average hitter with well above average defense you're talking you know three to four win type player at third base
1: yeah the strikeouts are just a really big concern that i have i'm, I'm curious to see what happens i think each of the last two years he's been in the bottom three percent of the league in terms of strikeout rate um he just doesn't make a lot of contact i think the whiff rate on baseball savant is also eighth percentile in baseball um so so it'll be interesting i don't, I don't expect that to shoot up any any significant amount, but if he's hitting for power when he does hit, um, I guess he still gets on base. The walk rate is still pretty good. So um, definitely a hitter that old school types are not going to, uh, not going to love. Um, but well, it's I, been I valuable. think,
0: yeah, again, like if, so you're giving up, you know, Smith and Logue and Sneed are, are probably role players if they stay in Toronto. So would you rather have Gunnar Hoagland if you're the Blue Jays this year or you know or thinking long term just for the whole mm-hmm. future of the organization would you rather have Gunnar hoagland or would you rather have matt chapman for the oh, next definitely years? yeah chapman yeah I, I would definitely rather have chapman and, and not to say that those other players are, have no value but I, I just think for the blue jays these guys just don't have a a fit there but i'm mm-hmm. you know i am excited to see if the improvements that kevin smith showed last year because he did make some swing changes now, he also made a lot of swing changes throughout 2019 when he was just, I mean, horrible I don't <laughs> know another way to say it. you can see his numbers. I mean, in 2018, he looked so good. And then in 2019, it was just so bad. He and he was constantly making swing changes then because it was, oh, it, you know, the strikeouts were piling up. So he's trying to make different adjustments and nothing seemed to work. And then 2020 was. I mean it sounded like more of the same it's, it's kind of hard to say because uh, they were just at the alternate training side there was no real games to evaluate these guys in but um you know he you know i wrote about the swing changes he made to his his setup and, and the way his swing worked that i think just created a, a quicker and, and more efficient swing for him so hopefully that translates to the big league level but yeah again i, I didn't really see a, a place for him in in toronto so i think it really swings on uh, you know, for Toronto, you know, giving up Gunnar Hoagland hurts, but um, I don't know, what did you think of Gunnar, Gunner Hoagland? Obviously he had Tommy John hmm. surgery um, before the draft. So we don't really have any new information.
1: Yeah. I him, really liked it, him. I mean, yeah. I really liked him coming out of high school as well. He was, he was a supplemental first round pick um, by the Pirates in 2018. I think that year, his high school season, he walked just two batters and struck out over a hundred and those last walks, those, those two walks came in his last start. So that was pretty special command or, or control that you you got to see from a player like that. And he continued to be that really command centric pitcher throughout his career at Ole Miss. I think his his walk rate um, for his, his career over three years was like two walks per nine. Um, and what was really encouraging for him during his draft year was the stuff ticked up when he was healthy, before he went down with that TJ He was a guy who was pretty routinely in the low 90s of the fastball, um, sitting in the upper 80s later in games uh, during his sophomore year um, and had a pretty noticeable velocity increase during his draft year. The slider got harder and better as well with that velocity increase. I mean, he was pitching himself into the top 10 picks. If he was healthy and continued posting like he was doing before the injury, I mean, there's a chance he could have been drafted before Kamar Rocker was drafted. There's a chance he could have been um, the second college pitcher drafted after Jack Leiter. So I like him a lot. Uh, I think he's similar to like a George Kirby type right now, um, one of the better command pitchers in class. I like his his breaking stuff better than Kirby's at the time. Um, so it may I mean, maybe, best case scenario, you're looking at a guy who has a chance to continue adding to that velocity when he comes back and is healthy and, and that foundation of of command. I mean, you could put 70 command on this guy. Um, there's a lot for me to like. I mean, he's a no doubt starter. Um, so I really hope that he just has no issues in the rehab from TJ and we get a healthy season from him. Um, I like him quite a bit, uh, but at the same time, it's a pitcher, um, a lot of attrition risk with that profile in general. And this is now the second first round pick. The Blue Jays have dra- have traded away. They traded away Gunnar Hugland, They traded away Austin Martin. Um, In twenty the 2020 first round pick, um, the second highest paid player in that draft. What are your thoughts on trading away the first round capital so aggressively? I mean, clearly the Blue Jays are in a position to win now. Um, And I think it's also interesting how we have talked about how positional depth isn't really an issue in baseball like it is other sports because there's no such thing as too many shortstops. And I mean, a year ago. We were talking about how, man, the Blue Jays have a ton of shortstop prospects here. What are they going to do with them all? Well, they turned one into a a very reliable number two or number three in Jose Barrios, and they turned another into a gold glove. uh, Well, not another shortstop, um, but who is, who's the other shortstop that they traded? They traded away two, right? Oh, Kevin Smith. Yeah. Kevin Smith in the package, not the headliner, but in the package to get a gold glove, third baseman and Matt Chapman. So, that that glut of positional depth and at shortstop. I just think it's interesting. We've talked about this in the past on the podcast, how it's really not a problem. It'll figure itself out. You can trade away from depth and the blue just have done that. So um, I, I really like what they're doing. Do you think it's too risky or, or too much to trade away first round capital that aggressively? I mean, the Mets have done it. Um, it's been a little hit or miss with them. What are your thoughts on that? Everyone's
0: doing it. We just talked about it with Ryan Cusick, the twins traded. Chase Petty. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are it. I mean, it it depends where your where your team is positioned right now. And and with where the Blue Jays are, you know, I I wouldn't want to have included a you know a top five overall pick (laughs) maybe in the draft in in a trade like this, but you know, somebody who's the the 19th overall pick where, where you have this team that's ready to contend for a world series right now. And I think should continue to be doing that for the next half decade. Yeah. You should be trading away players like, you know, Gunnar Hoagland and Austin Martin in the right deals. I mean, these are, you know, Austin Martin at the time the trade was made, you know, we, we saw again, we've talked about Austin Martin and and the strengths he brings to the table and and the upside. And and we've also talked about more of the weaknesses and the risks that were exposed more in pro ball last year by the time the trade was made. So this is not a top 10, top 25 overall prospects in baseball. They're trading. This is, you know, somebody more in that 50 ish type, type range type window where, all right. Yeah. Like certainly there's some upside, but there's a lot of risk involved there as well. And, and the Blue Jays have done a really good job building that homegrown core lineup and, and supplementing it with somebody like George Springer and, and you know, adding again, another guy like Chapman through, through trades. And, and they've got Gabriel Moreno, who's kind of just on the cusp right now, but they, they should be using their, their dollars in free agency to sign players like Kikuchi and Gaussman and, and, you know, trade to, bring along that rotation with somebody like Jose uh you know Jose Barrios and and add to the the pitching staff that way so um you know first round pick maybe is is how is a big label that people <laughs> uh that maybe adds a lot of
1: um hype, I don't know
0: expectation yeah, yeah exactly hype and expectation for mm-hmm. a player but you know the, there's a lot of prospects where, you know, if, if you put, I mean, how many first round picks do we have in our top 100 right now? What probably like seven or eight, something like that. So not, it's not like every first round pick. I would take the over like, on
1: that, but I think that, yeah, your point is probably a good one. It's there are a lot yeah, of first round not, picks that don't pan out.
0: Yeah. Or or just are not, you know, top 100 guys. mm mm-hmm right away just because of you know the nature of the baseball draft is very different than mm-hmm. in the nba or or the nfl so um i'm i'm fine with it i mean i mean like i said the, we just saw you know the twins doing it in a, in a very different yeah, let's let's talk situation. about the twins
1: trade the, the twins also traded their 2021 first round pick chase petty to the reds um the twins got sony gray and francis paguero in that trade um yeah, I guess just what are, your, what are your general thoughts on that one? For me, it's, it's hard to peg what the Reds are doing. Um, and the Twins have tried to do this kind of juggle. They're, they've been trading away some older players. Uh, they obviously traded away Barrios. Uh, they traded away Josh Donaldson. Uh, but at the same time, they extended Byron Buxton. Uh, they have made some additions. They've, they've added some pitching so, I don't know. It seems like they're trying to kind of retool on the fly here without really disrupting their core too much. Um, they, they obviously added uh, Austin Martin and Simeon Woods-Richardson, then they traded away from their prospect um, capital with the Chase Petty. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on this trade? Yeah, Chase Petty is – he is polarizing. <laughs> I mean, I think he would have to be one of the most polarizing sort of demographics you could find in baseball, especially yeah. prospects.
0: I, I mean, like the upside with him is is obvious, right? You have a high school pitcher from New Jersey throwing north of 100 miles an hour. It's, you know, 101, 102. Um, it's, it's heavy. He's got a slider that when it's on is plus, if not flashing, better than that. Um, but we all know about the risk with high school right-handed pitchers. And if you think about the risk factors involved with high school right-handed pitchers, the all are a lot of the typical red flags that you are looking for are there with Chase Petty. Um, it's not great command. Um, it's not the easiest delivery. Um, you know the the stuff is is outstanding. Certainly with that you know the fastball and and the slider when it's on, uh, but he's, you know, not that big of a guy that doesn't concern me so much because I, I don't, you don't know, need to project him throwing yeah any harder. Yeah. I think Sonny 102 Gray's not is, too big either. So yeah, I, I think 102 is fine. Um, <laughs> the, the stuff is good. It's more the, you know, the delivery, the command, the pitch ability. Um, I could see him going out and, you know, walking five or six guys per nine in low a this year that would not surprise me but if he is able to tame and, and corral that then again the the upside of just based on his pure stuff is pretty easy to see too
1: yeah for me I, I like obviously the twins needed major league pitching um now i mean their their rotation had a lot of question marks entering the year sonny gray helps address that he's been an above average pitcher really since 2017. Um, he's going to give them a lot of innings. He's going to give them a lot of quality starts. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, talk about Chase Petty throwing as hard as he does. He's one of the harder throwing high schoolers. But we have another player in your rankings, Ben, 2023 high school class, who's starting to get some of that velocity. And I feel like that might be the first time since I've been covering draft. And maybe it's just because you're on top of it more than We've really focused on the underclass players in previous years, but tell me a little bit about Travis Saikora, who is flirting with triple digit velocity. I don't know, has he already gotten to that? It seems like he's the next in line of these like really hard throwing high school pitchers who people are going to simultaneously get really, really excited about. And a lot of people will be slamming on the brakes um, and really worrying about what he's going to be like in six, eight years.
0: Yeah, Travis Sakura 6465 right-hander from Texas uh, and he's in the 2023 class. He's 17 and yeah, he has touched 101 already. It's it's pretty it's a pretty electric fastball. I mean, obviously, right? There <laughs> throws 101 <laughs> at 17. Um saw him last summer, had one of the biggest fastballs in the class then. He was up to the first time I saw him he was up to maybe 95 or 96 I think by the end of the, the summer or, or end of the year it touched 97 figured he would throw 101 day just hmm. based on the
1: size and the way the arm worked and obviously I, the, the velocity at that time. I saw like one inning from him at Jupiter he was playing shortstop um, for most of the game, and I think he came in for the last inning or maybe the last two. Uh, but he played a really good shortstop actually prior to that. And like you said, he's a bigger guy. So I was kind of impressed with his mobility and his actions as a bigger bodied shortstop. And then he hopped on the mound, um, really didn't have a a ton of warm-up time. And I think he touched a 97. And I, I remember thinking like, man, I really want to see the breaking ball. And then after the fact, I was like, wait, if I was 17 years old and I could throw 97, I would probably just keep throwing 97 over and over again. Um, so yeah, it was, it was exciting to see that with very little prep, just kind of get on the mound and show that sort of arm talent, what yeah, kind he of went out to, right now. Yeah. He went out to area
0: code under class. And then I think he threw one inning there and faced three of the better hitters in that 23 class and just blew them away with pretty much just, just fastballs, uh, almost, uh, exclusively they, they just couldn't, couldn't touch it. So, I mean, look, obviously he is one of the, uh, best pitching prospects in in the 2023 class. I think, again, like the key with him is the development of, of the off-speed stuff and the development of, of the commands because, I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen Riley Pint. We've seen Tyler Colick, these guys who throw 100 or 100-plus or 100 miles an hour out of high school, and teams will – I mean, teams take them still. <laughs> At the you know in those top five, top ten overall picks, um, I would maybe some of the um, or the lack of, of success with those guys, maybe that some of that hurt Chase Petty too, and and teams realizing just how much risk there is um, just with maybe high school pitchers and in, in general, or just making sure you see more than just a uh, you know a big big number on the radar gun from a young high school pitcher um so i i I, state, I think he's still clearly going to be one of the top pitching prospects in that 2023 uh draft class from from the high school ranks but um you know i, I think with with all these high school pitchers you you just want to make sure you see more than just that big number on the on the radar gun
1: yeah absolutely and another trade i wanted to touch on was Uh, The Mets trade for Chris Bassett, another athletics trade. They've obviously been very active in the market. The Mets traded uh, or they received Chris Bassett. They traded away JT Ginn and Adam Aller. I think there are a lot of similarities between Chase Petty and JT Ginn just in terms of their pitch profile, pitch mix, their uh, role risk coming out of high school. JT Ginn was in that loaded 2018 high school pitching class that had Kamar Rocker, Matthew Liberatore, uh, Ethan Hankins, a number of others. One of the better high school pitching classes that we've seen in recent years. He ranked as a top 50 prospect in that class out of high school. Um, there were question marks about whether or not he was going to be a starter or reliever at the next level. Uh, he was a guy who was throwing 99 as a high schooler, so he didn't quite have the velocity we're talking about with a petty or with a green or with what Travis Ikora has already done but he threw hey, pretty was hard only, only 99. Yeah. Just 99. Not quite good enough. Um, but I think in, in terms of the shape of that pitch, it's like a power sinking fastball, similar to Petty's. I'm personally very high on his slider and change up. Like some people have been on Petty's. I actually like JT again, a little bit more than Petty now, or, or maybe quite a bit more because he did wind up going to college. He pitched really well there, showed better command than I think a lot of people maybe expected for a guy who everyone was concerned might be a reliever in the long run um had tj fell a little bit in the draft again he's another guy who like Gunnar hoagland maybe could have pitched himself into a top 10 range if he was healthy um for the 2020 draft he wound up going number uh, in the second round by the mets he got overpaid i'm trying to find out where his exact position was 52nd overall is where he was selected. Um, but he pitched really well in college. He pitched pretty well last year between low A and high A. Again, maybe the strikeouts weren't weren't as high as you want, 7.9 for 9. Um, but he's always been a pretty good command arm when he's healthy for me. What are your thoughts on this trade? And I guess any, anything more to add about how aggressive the Mets have been in trading away their draft capital? Kyle wrote a story on how they have been more aggressive than really any other team in terms of trading away recent one and, or, or top two round draft picks. Um, But yeah, just thoughts on this one, man.
0: Yeah. This, this one where they're, you know, trading away JT again, I don't mind that one. Um The one where they traded away Pete Crow Armstrong. <laughs> I, I think that one could come back to yeah. um, bite them. Bite them more. Um, that was one where, like, if, if you could do that one over, <laughs> I think uh, they would like to, uh, or if, if I were them, I would certainly like to have mm-hmm. that one back for, you know, for Javi Baez. It's, uh, I, I think Pete Crow Armstrong is, has a chance to be a, uh, you know, a potential top of the lineup hitter who can play really good defense in center field. So
1: um, JT Ginn. You know, like you said, I I think he's a he's a good prospect, but I don't. I mind. will admit that I'm probably the highest person in the office on JT Ginn. I think I've been the highest since 2018 on this guy, so <laughs> I'm out on a limb a little bit. Even though he only threw 99. Yeah, you know, I don't really care too much. <laughs> I, I, the shape of the pitch is so good. He he was so down. The slider and the changeup were both such good pitches. Like I think, legitimately, I think he has a chance for three pluses there. With above average command, so I'm I'm clearly very high on him. That those are really good grades.
0: Yeah, that's one where yeah, to me, you know, I get what the I,
1: I I can see where both sides are are coming from on that one. All right, good deal. uh Are there any other trades that we didn't mention that that you wanted to touch on, or any other movement in baseball, Ben? I feel like we've talked about pretty much everything the A's have done so far. They still have some trades to to be made, but I guess kind of looking at where their system stands now, do you have a feel for how much they've improved their system? Because we haven't even added uh, Gunnar Hoagland to their list uh, today as we record this, our our top 40 prospects for every team in baseball went up. So you can check that out now. Um, and Oakland has a new number two, number three and number four prospect in their system with Langoliers, Pache and Ginn um, kind of sandwiched in between Tyler Soderstrom and Zach Geloff how much do you think they've improved their farm system and, and i guess where do you feel like they rank in baseball now or, or do you feel like we still need some time to digest and see what moves they continue to make yeah you know for all these trades
0: that they've made i mean they still only have three top 100 prospects it should just it should be it should be significantly better than what it is. I mean, I love Tyler Soderstrom, you know, certainly adding Langoliers and, and Pache will, you know, briefly be in their farm system and briefly be a prospect mm-hmm. and adding Gunnar Hoagland helps, but, um, you know, and adding Ryan Cusick, but man, it falls prior, off.
1: prior to this trade, they were the number 27 org. Um, we had ranked in our org talent rankings, like, do you think they move up to like a 20, range higher than that? Like Marlins, Padres and Braves or 20 to 22 teams entering the year? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Braves and the A's really just switched places, given how little depth the Braves have beyond and, and actually starting to trade away from some of their top 10, which they haven't done in the past few years. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I mean, the,
0: and the Padres might still be better than them (laughs) i don't know that uh it's 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 an all right system um but i
1: think the the depth falls off pretty quickly here too so in your mind would you rather have the team i mean i don't know what's possible in these trade conversations but would you rather have them just try and go for more impact players and maybe smaller overall packages more um quantity more quality over quantity trades like you said, I, I think it's hard. It's just getting harder and harder
0: to get those, really guys, those guys away yeah. to get those guys in a trade sometimes. So, um, it's, you know, maybe they viewed Langoliers in, in that way, or again, maybe they view Pache that way. I, I again, like, I, I certainly don't see him as that kind of guy right now, but, um, you know, it's hard to acquire a, you know, a you know a player like a Tyler Soderstrom <laughs> in a trade like those those teams are just saying no like we're not generally going to give up that player unless it's for you know an elite player who's under team control for for several years at a at a good price still so it's it's just getting harder and harder i think to you know pull those players away um in a deal now you know if Indians end up trading or excuse me the Guardians end up trading Jose Ramirez, then I think that's going to be a, a a different situation. You will see somebody, uh, you know, one of our, our top 50, maybe top 25 prospect in baseball get moved. Um, But otherwise it's, you know, it's, it's hard to
1: pry one of those guys away. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, I wanted to throw a a quick, not really a question, but more of a, a comment that one of our listeners had from our conversation last week on just underclass scouting um, and just see what your thoughts were on this. Jack on Twitter said, Hey, Carlos, just finished this week's podcast. Enjoyed the conversation about scouting underclass players. I've always thought the best way to optimize scouting, assuming no budget constraints, which to be fair, is a pretty big assumption uh, is to have two scouts for each area. For example, if the two of us were both assigned to the four corners for this year, you would cover 2022 prospects who are eligible for this draft and I would scout 2023 players. At the time of the draft, you'd be in draft meetings, and I would be out scouting 23 players, and then after the draft, you would start scouting 24 players, and I would keep on scouting the 2023 players. Basically, each of us would rotate every year or every other year uh, on who is covering current draft prospects and being in the draft room. Uh, Jack notes that he'd be surprised to see a team use this tactic uh, given the spending, but wanted to know what we thought on a a situation like that. So I have my thoughts. I'll throw it out to you first Ben. Do you think that is a, a a system that teams should pursue or an interesting system or what are your thoughts on on kind of alternating? I think it it makes sense for teams to expand their
0: scouting departments and have more scouts in pretty much every area of the country. Um I I, I think the importance of scouting the current year's draft class is is so much greater than the, seeing the players for the following year's draft class, that I, if, if I were to expand the scouting department for a team, I would want, you know, I, let's say like you have two area scouts now in the Carolinas. Well, you know, in the spring leading up to the draft, I would still want both of those scouts going out and seeing as many players for that current year as possible. I, I think that's where the benefit of increasing the number of area scouts that you have, um, or you know, if you want to call them area scouts or call them something else, whatever it is, just just having a larger scouting presence in every part of the country. Um, I think that's where the benefit comes into play. Is all right you're you're just going to miss fewer looks at the present year's class than if you only have you know one guy in that area and you're you know relying on you know cross checkers or scouting directors or other you know people to you know helicopter in for uh, you know a game or two here or there because you just can't be everywhere at once pitchers throw on on the same day sometimes you, you just get more you you get more eyeballs on your you just get more looks at players you get more information and and you get more diversity of of opinions on players too i think that's where the other advantages of of just having a um a larger scouting department is you're getting people with with different looks at players and and different um different evaluations and at the end of the day obviously you have to um you know digest all of that as a scouting director and, and make decisions but the more information you have and, and the more diversity of opinions that you have in the room, I, I think it helps reach a a better decision on on these players at the end of the
1: day. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting um suggestion from Jack. I, I think the the biggest uh limitation of it or the biggest negative that I thought of was if if you are doing that alternating system that he suggested, I feel like teams aren't going to really want to take a veteran scout where they really trust their evaluations and, and they have a track record of, of really pegging these guys to an accurate degree. Like I think it's a good system where you can add a scout and really kind of develop younger scouts and, and bring them along and help them learn and grow as scouts. I don't know that you would want to take a guy who's been just doing a great job in an area and not have him on the current year draft class. Like you said, I think, the emphasis should definitely be put on the current year draft. And if you do have more people, maybe you you get a chance to go to more underclass events than you would with just one guy in an area. But I think I tend to agree with you, Ben, that you want to get as many people focusing on the current year as, as you possibly can. Um, we had another question. I don't think we're going to do a huge mailbag segment today, but we did have another question from Todd on Instagram who asked, where do you see 2023 outfitter Walker Jenkins going in the draft? Ben, I know you're very high on Walker Jenkins now. I know he's high on our on our draft list at the moment, but I just wanted to throw this one out to you because uh, you, you talk a lot about our, our top guy in the class and Max Clark. Um, does Walker Jenkins need a little bit more love? He, Yeah, I, I think he and Max
0: Clark have really separated themselves as the top two players in in the class for 2023 from at least from the high school side obviously you got some pretty good college players <laughs> too led by uh led by dylan Cruz at lsu but yeah i mean jenkins is is really exciting um f- big physical just he's an animal man he's like six 200 plus pounds uh but can run pretty well for his size he's he's athletic and then I think it's not the pure bat to ball skills that Max Clark has just because I don't think anybody has that in, in the 23 class. Um, but it's, it's not too far from there. Um, it's a really good swing from the left side. It's good strike zone discipline. I think he has some of the best strike zone discipline in in the class. And then you watch him just, take batting practice and, and the raw power is is obvious. This is a guy who could be hitting, you know, 30, 35 home runs uh in, in his prime if everything comes together for him. So um playing center field now, I think long term just because of how big he is, it's likely he ends up in in right field, but I, I'd certainly keep him in, in center field for now and keep him there as long as he um uh, you know as long as he can play there. But I think you you know you take that whole package and i think it's you know if if we're gonna hold so let's say like a 2023 draft today he'd go he'd certainly go in the top 10 picks and i think there's a pretty good chance you'd see him go top five i mean it'd be interesting if you even threw him into the 2022 draft and just said all right compare him with some of these other um you know guys like uh you know drew jones or Or Elijah Green for example just thinking some of these other high school outfielders I mean I guess where
1: would you slot him in Ben you know you know him better than anyone and you know these other guys like how many of the high school hitters or maybe high school outfielders would you go through in the 2022 class before you're like man I kind of have to take Walker next
0: yeah I mean it's it's a little tougher maybe comparing with some of the college guys like uh you know a kevin parada yeah you or, can just do high school if you're somebody that like that think but yeah just looking at like like elijah green for example is you know i i again, another guy who's just a, a really physical tooled up guy i think i mean elijah to me is more of a he has a better chance to stay in center field i, I think green is a, a better runner um arm you know, probably comparable. I mean Jenkins does have really good instincts defensively in the outfield. Um raw power probably give the edge to I think Elijah Green right now again he's also older than yeah. Walker Jenkins so that's that's part of it, but I think Walker Jenkins is is probably just a, a better pure hitter and better strike zone discipline than Green. You're going to see more contact, higher on base percentage than with green uh, power is, is going to be probably close, probably give the edge to green, at least for right now. Uh, and you probably have a greater chance of a premium position with Elijah green. So um, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty close. If, if you go a little bit further down the board, just looking at other, you know, high school position players, whether it's, I mean, Cam Collier actually is a good example. Cause he was in the 2000, 23 class and then he reclassified if if i moved and we have cam in the you know the middle of the first round right now on talent and he's been moving up because i mean this is a high school this is basically a high school junior
1: who is kicking ass right now yeah i'm about to pull up his numbers last time i checked they were really impressive but i'm gonna pull yeah let me
0: spoil them for you because they're still really awesome i mean (laughs) (laughs) he's He's, he's dominating right now with a wood bat at one of the top JUCOs in the country as a a player who would normally be, you know, in his junior year of high school baseball right now. So yeah, I think he is, co- um,
1: yeah. really quickly, he threw 31 games, he's hitting 316, 440, 500 with five home runs and three doubles, um, more walks, 21 than strikeouts, 18, which might be the most impressive stat of the group there but yeah he's basically like the third best hitter on the team as a yeah should be junior in high school it's crazy
0: yeah i mean if if collier if i put him in our 2023 list he like he was before and i think he was when he reclassified i think he was either two or or three right behind uh
1: max clark I saying so. he was two at the time but i could be wrong
0: yeah we had thomas white pretty high um and then true true oh, he could have
1: been three then i forgot about and then i think point.
0: yeah walker jenkins just kept getting more better and better e- either he kept getting better and better or i just got you know better information <laughs> and realized this guy needs to yeah keep keep moving going mean, i think a combination of, of the two i mean he was on the ended up making the 18u jenkins did the 18u national team as an underclassman i mean he was um, I mean, he's like a man among boys <laughs> in, that, in that 23 class. So, you know, you look at Collier in like the middle of the first round, um, you know, I think it's a good debate between Collier versus Walker Jenkins. And, and again, Collier could keep moving up <laughs> the port if he, if he keeps hitting the, the way he does.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you think any of these guys will ever have a, a baseball card of them sell for more than $130,000 though? That's the real question. Oh my god! That yeah, Marcelo Meyer. Yeah, card, this but... is our this is our semi regular uh, card market segment where we talk about how insane some of these cards are. There was a Marcelo Meyer card signed. Uh, I think it was like a PSA ten for those of you who know the card system. Sold for one hundred and thirty two thousand dollars. I mean, it's no Jason Dominguez level, but I thought that was just crazy. I don't understand, like, what
0: is the upside to, to that? Like, What, what where do you think <laughs> this card is going to go?
1: I, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't really know, I, it, Ben. I've I I love... asked some people who are into the card market about this, and, and they seem to say that people are just making bets on players who have a chance to be, like, all-time greats and... Like I've asked, like why did why are Trout's cards not going this much? And and people are like, well, because we know that he like isn't the greatest of all time. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean that you just put it on these prospects. I don't I don't understand it at all. I'm not the person who needs to explain the card market, but maybe after this podcast, the uh, the stock on Walker Jenkins prospect cards will go through the roof. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I just man, that's <laughs> just
1: so much. To- How many games has he played? I mean more than Jason Dominguez when his cards are going crazy, but I mean that's probably
0: part of it. I mean, I imagine he the more he plays, the more you're gonna be like, oh,
1: like he's you know a really good player. But it, it sounds like we need to get involved in this market here. We should start investing, selling off, trading all your prospect cards, selling the. I own none of them, so. <laughs> yeah, that seems like a, a dicey ethical thing. area to get into. I would want no part of that. But yeah, that that was just wild. Again, if if you guys know about the card market and have thoughts on it, let us know because uh, we we really don't know anything about it. We just see these numbers and are a little bit amazed that people are putting like more than college tuition towards a baseball card. So
0: yeah, I would not advise putting more than one percent of your net worth into uh, (laughs) this. (laughs) On the other hand, if you have fourteen million dollars or whatever, fifteen million
1: dollars, then
0: I guess one hundred thirty-two thousand (laughs) would. fit under yes. that umbrella couldn't,
1: couldn't you just like get a card and pay way less than that and just go have him sign it what what's the difference here is it like a certain card that it has more rarity probably see this is why i shouldn't be yeah. talking about the cards at all i don't know about yeah, it. that's probably a different
0: uh like a it's probably like a, what like a one out of one type Let scenario
1: yeah oh yeah it does say one out of one yeah so i guess i guess it's the only card in the world that you could have like that and it's signed so whatever I wonder how Marcelo Meyer feels
0: too, where it's like you sign this card and all of a sudden it's worth six figures.
1: Yeah, this is why these kids need to start taking cuts when they offer autographs. That's what I think they should do. (laughs) Sign a little contract, you get a percentage of whatever the final sale price is of the card. Well, they do get, I mean, obviously not, you know, just for
0: signing for, for fans, but they do get deals when they're, with the card companies when they're signing like, hundreds and hundreds of cards for uh for them and it's good i mean it's good money like between that and equipment deals for glove companies and bats and all that stuff i mean I'm not talking about like you know nba endorsement deals obviously but especially for the players who are not big big bonus players and especially if they're not on the 40-man roster yet like what money is the they can-
1: what is the correlation of players who aren't big bonus players who are getting these big endorsement deals though? I
0: think, I mean, not like huge, but you're more than the money that they're making in minor league salary. Low bar, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Yeah. But it's, you know, if you're a, you know, like if you're a Vidal Brujan and you sign for like 15 grand or you're Sixto Sanchez and you sign for $35,000 and that money needs to last you for several years throughout your Minor league career, those, I mean, those endorsement deals (laughs) like a, you know, a pretty significant windfall for, uh, for some of those guys. Obviously, for, you know, for Marcelo Meyer, who signed for what, six million or or whatever it was, it's not that, uh, not that big of a, uh, a a dense compared to his, his signing bonus. But, um, you know, for some of those other guys were a little bit, uh, you know, lower profile as, as amateur players would have, you know, moved into a a top 10 prospect ranking in, in their organization, it can be a nice, uh, nice chunk of, nice chunk of change for them, given that uh, their teams are paying them, you know, nine, 10 grand a year
1: for, for their salary. Speaking of low, low profile players, did you have any thoughts on the Kumar rocker rule? Yeah, I think we should never call it the Kumar rocker
0: rule. I saw ML strong agree. So MLB call it that. So, so the was it rule actually is... MLB
1: that called it that? Because I, I know I have the memo right here, and they don't, they don't call it that in the memo. I haven't seen the actual CBA, like the specific language in the agreement. I'm just reading the memo language, and it doesn't say Kumar Rocker in that. But I, I know it's been referred to as the Kumar Rocker rule.
0: Yeah, they probably changed it after uh, maybe after I tweeted that. It was like <laughs> you can't call this the Kumar Rocker rule. Yeah, when it it would not have applied to Kumar
1: Rocker. Really and he's quickly, not, I mean. The yeah, rule is that there are some tweaks to uh, how the first-year player draft works. One of the clauses says that if a player submits to a pre-draft physical at the combine and is drafted, the selecting club must offer the player seventy-five percent of the player's slot value, or the player will become a free agent if the club fails to sign the player. And the last half of that statement was actually the most interesting to me. But initially, when this came out and it was being reported on. Everyone was citing the 75% number, which didn't really make a lot of sense to me because in the 2021 draft, any player who went through the pre-draft physical, did the MRI program, they're still entitled to 60% of the slot. So it's just a 15% bump. And like you were going to talk about, Ben, I'll let you continue. Kamar Rocker didn't do the pre-draft physical. So he didn't have that 60% safety net, which is why he's not currently in an affiliated system or at least partially why but yeah
0: exactly so you can't call this the kumar rocker rule when it would not have applied to kumar rocker it just doesn't it it is completely illogical i understand what mlb is doing here where they're trying to incentivize players Mm -hmm. to take a pre-draft physical because that benefits mlb teams Mm -hmm. if you really wanted to incentivize it i mean raise it higher than 75 percent i mean you could just say mm-hmm. you're guaranteed the slot money if you take yeah. a pre-draft physical um, yeah the
1: incentives here have always been an issue like it's been a consistent problem um, teams clearly want players to submit for pre-draft physicals they want this information because it's it's going to help them decide where they're taking a player um, what their health risk is for every individual team but on the player side there's no incentive to hand over that information, which you know is just going to be weaponized against you um, in, in your draft position, in any bonus negotiations. So you really need a big incentive if you're going to do that. The only players who who typically seem to do this are players who are actually hurt, who have had surgery, who want to prove that they're coming back, that there's no problems. So they get a physical, make sure it's clean. And if it is, well, then, yeah, they'll send that stuff to teams so teams can feel a little bit better about drafting a player who's already been hurt. but. If you're healthy and you're pitching like kumar rocker was what what is the incentive to just hand over medical information that you know teams are just going to use against you it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense in the way the mlb draft works without any hard slotting when you don't have to declare for a draft like the nfl like it's always been a, a tough problem to solve for both sides because i mean i can see players wanting safety i can see teams wanting to have information before they make a pick and, and invest millions of dollars but it has to be fair for both sides. And it's clearly, we haven't found a solution to that just yet. And I'm curious to know if the free agent element of this rule will change that at all. Because that, to me, seems like the much bigger factor. Like if you are not, if you're not offered the slot or you don't sign and you went through the pre-draft and now you're a free agent and any club can sign you, that seems like a much bigger benefit than a 60% or a 75% of whatever your slot is in my mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I thought they should have done with Kumar Rocker last year was say, look, all right, if the Mets say he's not healthy and, uh, or we see some issue in his physical where we don't want to sign him, well, let's not screw, and the Mets are getting compensated with a pick in the following year's draft. Well, let's not screw over the player had no say in you know probably basically no say in which team is going to draft him and now because the team that did draft him is saying "Mm, we changed our minds based on the physical Mm -hmm. which again you know is it within their right to do within the system let's create a system or create a mechanism for rocker to you know go ahead and sign with another club where if another club says no he's healthy we're fine Mm -hmm. taking him let's do it i mean are are there going to be restrictions in place on um you know strings attached to this free agency where there's going to be limits on Mm -hmm. i'm going to presume on on what he can sign
1: for as a free agent i would imagine i don't know the details i'm still waiting to actually like get my hands on everything and like go through the language of everything to see what all the details are but i mean I don't think owners are ever in a situation where they are going to allow amateur players to sign wherever they want for whatever they want. Clearly they've been trying to limit that in each CBA we've had and they've successfully done so. So I would be shocked if it was just an an unlimited free agency, but I don't know the details as of right now.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, Rocker must be like, dude, I'm, I'm the healthiest. I mean, I'm not in college, but I must be the healthiest college pitcher (laughs) In uh,
1: in baseball, right now, all these other guys are just yeah. dropping. Man, it sucks. It feels like every time we talk, there's someone else who is either not pitching again or has had a Tommy John surgery. I mean, I think since since our last one, Landon Sims has has undergone Tommy John surgery. He's out for the year. Carson Wisenhunt is healthy. He's been suspended by the NCAA or, or deemed ineligible by the NCAA um so he's not going to pitch for east carolina i mean there's a chance that that Wisenhunt and rocker are pitching on the same team um sometime down the line before the draft that would be kind of cool for for scouts to see those those two like, a, like an independent league somewhere yeah that's that's been rumored that would make sense for them like neither of them are with the college team now and they're both eligible they're both healthy as far as i know um so pitching with an independent league team or maybe it's just uh, they do some bullpen sessions. Um, I don't know what it's going to be. I think both of those would be legitimate options for them because, I mean, it's it's a good year to be a college pitcher if you're healthy and you can throw because there are not a lot of those healthy. Um, and there are certainly not a lot of those who are starters or have a, a track record of starting. And, and Kumar Rocker certainly does. And Carson Wisenhunt um, had a really good year as a starter last year and was poised to be one of the, one of the first pitchers taken in this year's draft before before this just suspension, excuse me.
0: Yeah. He's, I gotta think he's gotta throw somewhere before. I gotta think more than just a bullpen too. Before the draft. If I'm a team, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not using a first round pick on a guy based on seeing just some bullpens and the latest
1: history you have on him from. Well, what about from, all these? What about JT Ginn? What about uh, Jaden Hill? What about Connor prelip? Like, yeah, two of those guys didn't go in the first round, but they got first round money. Jaden Hill yeah. threw a little bit more in the spring. JT again threw three innings, but I mean again had a really strong year. I don't know. I think for a lot of these guys, the teams kind of know the talent. I, I yeah, yeah. I th- those are so <laughs> I think all those guys I would not have used a. Uh a first round pick you're just out on are you out? is it the arms or you're just out on an injured arms or you want to see them much closer to the draft or you're you're just taking ben you're just taking bats let's be honest you're taking hitters
0: (laughs) well i'm I'm fine with the you know the the pitchers especially the college pitchers but i just want to have more recent information to make a decision on than one year ago
1: what what is the pick in the draft where you're at where you feel confident taking kamar rocker with only the information you have right now how far down in the draft would you have to be?
0: I mean, the thing is, based on, you know, like we said, based on what we saw last year mm-hmm. and then based on just how <laughs> annihilated the current crop of college pitchers have been mm-hmm. this year. I mean, I think we have them in a, in a good spot kind of toward that back of the first round. I'm glad you think he, that.
1: I don't know if I'll ever feel confident about where we have Rocker.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, where I would at least, consider him um but e- so, even there it's like man, i gotta see more than just uh <laughs> still gotta see more than just a bullpen like i, I want to see you th- go out and throw and 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 face hitters um and not just see some you know small brief like controlled environment um <laughs> and i and i and i really like you know the the talent that he showed i mean we talked all year about him versus Jack Leiter. Um, through you know the the entire year so um it, it, you know it's again it's hard to say too without knowing the exact you know details of what popped up in in the mm-hmm. physical so um but yeah it would it would it would make me hesitant to use a you know certainly use a high first round pick on on somebody without having that mm-hmm. more recent history on him
1: gotcha all right uh i think that about wraps it up for us today ben unless i'm missing anything um Thank you top guys. 40, yeah, I was gonna
0: say top 40s on our yeah. on our yep. site right plug now. Plug it all, Ben.
1: What do you got to plug?
0: Yeah, top 40 prospects, 1200 scouting reports uh, are on our site right now for BA subscribers. So um, you know we're gonna update them again pretty pretty soon. And but yeah, right now we got the top 40 players in in each organization at uh, baseballamerica.com. If you're a if you're a BA mm-hmm.
1: subscriber, yep. I'll say go read all of those and check that out. And we also updated and expanded our draft list this week. Um, It's been out there for a while. If you're listening to this podcast, you might have already seen it, but we're up to 200 now. Um, A lot of tweaks on that list, even inside the 100. So it wasn't just an expansion. uh, A post on some of the players who are moving up and down the list, some of the notable movers. Um, So check that out. Um, A lot of good stuff on the college side by Teddy and Joe. Um, Yeah, it just feels like there's a lot moving right now. Every level of baseball, uh, things are happening. Trades are being made. We're seeing spring training video from the press box. Um, so you know the season is always getting really close when those videos start popping up popping up on your timeline. Um, so just a lot going on, and it's, it's great to see. And as we get off this podcast, my Tar Heels are also going to be playing basketball in the NCAA tournament. Ben, are you going to watch that with me, or are you checked out entirely?
0: Is that, is that starting today? Yeah, they play at 430. I guess, I guess it is March. Is yeah. it starting later than usual?
1: It feels like it's all kind of moved a little bit later. I, I think so, but I don't know. I think the last few years it's been around this time. Maybe I, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't follow it that closely. I just watched UNC play. <laughs>
0: that was, uh, that was actually my strategy for winning the old Baseball America uh, bracket. Did you enter pool. the bracket
1: this year? We have one.
0: No, not this ben, year. Come on! But man. back in like, must've been like 2010. Eleven, something like that, um was just because we I, I like we expanded it to like friends and family and things like that. um So we ended up having like a couple hundred or so wow. people in the pool, and two Which out of three a
1: coin and you won.
0: No, I just picked against Duke and UNC winning because it was so the 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 good strategy. Pe- yeah. The people in the pool are so North Carolina based that so many mm-hmm. like friends and family of ba people you know in our offices in durham north carolina yeah i took so UNC I figured- all the
1: way in both my brackets so that yeah. strategy would be a winning one against me
0: yeah so i figured all right everybody else is just gonna pick duke and <laughs> unc so i just pick somebody else i gotta maximize my expected value and maximize my
1: odds of winning and i just dumb lucked <laughs> into it like two out of three years it sounds towards- like everyone dumb lucked into losing Probably dumbed my... into losing because I mean my bracket sign I'm not going to win, but I'm not going to fill out a bracket and not put the heels in the championship game. Ben, come on, see that's this is why this is why I wanted two out of three years. <laughs> well, you should have got in it this year. I think it's just me and Chris who are the UNC guys now. It's we we've, we've diversified our our college demographics a little bit at BA over the past few years. So, well, I think the pool is probably
0: smaller too because it's about, is it? It's probably just like a dozen or so people in the office now yeah who are, who are in
1: i don't know i don't know what the total numbers are because this but... was like
0: at this time like lingo used to run it it was like 100 200 something people in it yeah so it was like... i was
1: in that one a couple of years i think even yeah even when lingo wasn't at ba anymore he was still running it and i got I got the invite that was a massive one i yeah. never came close to winning that one so kudos that's... to you ben for winning that that's impressive That was probably
0: up there in terms of my professional accomplishments it's... Yeah, <laughs> nice
1: Very cool. Well, good luck to to everyone on your brackets. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, Yeah. And we'll be back next week. So see you then. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend
1: on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.
0: At Granger, we're here for you.